future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry-leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile-focused experience for players with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com. One. Chasi, my man, it's great to have you back on the podcast, uh, my friend. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you very much, Pierre. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing great here. It's uh, Malta, 15 degrees. Uh, still wearing my jump- jumper here because uh, I guess I've acclimated to the to the Maltese uh, weather here after 12 years on this island. But uh, happy nonetheless. I'm, uh, I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this weather. Uh, and you're 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 in Spain still, or? Yes, I'm in Spain, in uh, Madrid. So uh, Brilliant. I'm happy to say that today also we are seeing the, the double digit uh, oh, right. weather. Uh, very nice, very nice. Usually it's very cold in this period. So very nice, very nice. Luckily we have good weather today. Yeah. Happy to hear that, happy to hear that. Sachi, I want to start this podcast a little bit differently than I usually start uh, most podcasts because usually we jump straight into the conversation and I usually kind of skip introductions uh, because I think, you know, you can kind of read the description of the podcast or you know who the guests are and so on and they are usually not so interesting. But uh, uh, today I want to just give a little bit of homage to uh, Sachi Maimon here, the uh, CEO of uh, Aspire Global, because obviously... You are going through a quite interesting uh, period at the moment with uh, Aspire Global, um, with the bid from uh, NeoGames to acquire uh, Aspire Global. And I just want to start this podcast by uh, giving you some credit and um, giving you a little bit uh, thoughts from my end, uh, and just to showcase to the audience uh, the incredible work that you have done. So I've been I've been in touch with one of your employees here before the podcast just to uh, to to kind of highlight a little bit the journey that Aspire Global has had since you joined the company. And uh, you joined obviously from Playtech in 2013. Uh, at that time, Aspire Global had 235 employees and you had a revenue of 12.4 million in the quarter where you joined Aspire Global. Fast forward to uh, 2022, uh, 2021, you had 537 employees you've grown the company to uh, with an um, 
uh, with a revenue in the Q3 year 21 of 58.6 million. Uh, so let me just repeat that 12.4 million when you joined and 58.6 million uh, at the time uh, now before when uh, uh, Neo Games announced that they are acquiring you. Aspire Global has outperformed every single listed iGaming company in the in the stock markets since the uh, beginning of the pandemic with uh, your share prices eight doubled in the time since the uh, pandemic 800% you have managed to uh, increase the share value uh, from the, that is outperforming the likes of evolution uh, MGM who has been forming really well Catena Media Kindred and the entire industry uh, I asked as well this employee why uh, it is uh, that uh, you guys have been performing so well and uh, specifically you know you as CEO um, what uh, if you summarize it to a couple of words would you describe Sachi Maimon uh, as a CEO and the four words that I got replied back to was uh, that uh, he is very present uh, he is very smart uh, he is very goal-oriented and he is very fun as well. So I think uh, if you would ever want to be summarized into four words, uh, that is a pretty nice uh, four-word combination that uh, that you were summarized there. So to summarize a little bit, uh, I just want to start this podcast by uh, obviously highlighting the fact that you've had an uh, incredible journey with uh, Aspire Global, uh, just uh, going from strength to strength, acquiring the right uh, opportunities, uh, doing the correct strategic changes in the right times when it was needed. Uh, and it has got you to this point where uh, now obviously Neo Games is uh, taking over to an um, uh, to, to valuation that is a lot higher than uh, just a couple of years ago. So uh, my my first question to you, uh, I guess, uh, uh, Shashi, is um, can you summarize a little bit the journey uh, that you've had with uh, Aspire Global. And can you talk us through a little bit of um, why you think uh, is behind this massive success that uh, the company has had? First of all, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, I never heard uh, a summary in front of me uh, about <laughs> myself. So it's a little bit, uh, um, I'm a little bit embarrassed from it. Uh, so thank you very much, Pierre, <laughs> and also an opportunity to say that uh, uh, you followed the, the company and us for a very long time, and uh, also to thank you for the support. Um, so, so if I will take it back around nine, ten years ago, so yes, when, when I came from Playtech, so uh, Aspire Global was um, a, a small company um, that uh, was mainly on B2C, and uh, we saw that... Uh, uh, even if the B2C was around 70-80% of the revenue, we thought that if we will give the products, the platform that we have for one, two, three more partners, maybe we will be able to fund better the B2C. So we still add the B2C in our uh, vision. This was the main uh, um, goal, to grow the B2C through the partners that are using already our platform, so to scale from that. Uh, but fast enough, we saw that uh, the product is good, that the partners that we have are growing nicely. Um, and then we said, okay, the company is uh, strong, it's profitable. It's already around uh, 40% B2B, 60% B2C. Uh, and we said, okay, if we are looking ahead 
five, ten years from now, where will be our core success? We understood that it will be B2B. We just knew that it will be B2B. But on the way, there are things that we knew that we need to do in order to be perceived as a B2B. And the first one was to list the company in Stockholm. It's true that we were a very profitable company before, before, but we knew that if we want to sell our products and to come to big companies that have board members that usually go and decide uh, uh, to go with a company that is the safest to go with, we understood that we need to be public because as a public company, you are more transparent, all your numbers are out, all your business is out. And we thought that this transparency will give us the push that we need in order to start the ride into the mainstream of the B2B. So this was the first step and we did it successfully in Sweden a little bit more than four years ago. But it was only the first step because we knew that in order to uh, complete it or at least to control the B2B environment, especially in regulated markets, which back then was not that sexy to talk about because it was very heavy cost and a lot of preparation for the technology. So it, it wasn't that attractive to speak about regulations. But we knew that in order to win the future battle of the regulation for the operators, we need to own some products. And this is where the acquisition started, the acquisition strategy and the journey started with Pariplay, Bitobet, recently with end-to-end, um, -end, the bingo product. Um, and of course, the last piece was to sell the B2C. So we are pure B2B. And then we know that uh, from here, we just need to grow further. So this is in uh, like three, four minutes why we went and list the company and why we did those acquisitions. Uh, because it's uh, 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 in the future, regulated markets, it's, it's here to stay and to expand. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so this is our strategy and I'm happy that it's uh, uh, growing from that aspect. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm curious to know as well, Tashi, like, why did you choose to offload the, the B2C parts uh, in, or in, in order to focus on the B2B? Why not the opposite or why not focus on both? We thought that, uh, you know, a B2C needs its own focus. It's a different focus than having a B2B. Um, and to have those two verticals running in parallel, we knew that it will, in, in some point, in some size of a spire, it will be one account the other, one account the other. And uh, this is where we understood that if from the beginning, our vision and strategy was to be a B2B leading supplier. So we understood that we will need to uh, diverse the, the B2C and we just looked for the right opportunity, right structure. And if you saw, even if we sold the B2C, it stayed on our platform and products. So this is a win-win for us to sell something, but it's still enjoying our products and we will receive royalties from it. So we are still supplying them whatever they need. So this is something that it was clear to us that if we need yeah. to sell something, 
it will be uh, the B2C. Okay, okay, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do you still hear me? Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. You, you did it. Yes. We wanted to focus. Mm. Uh, we need we needed to focus on the on the technology. We needed the money to invest more and more in the technology and the products in order to be an even better B two B supplier. Okay, interesting. So so essentially, you feel that uh, had you continued with uh, both B two B and B two C, you you kind of spread yourself thin as an organization. It's difficult to. Uh, focus on operational excellence when when you were doing everything at once is that kind of kind of the truth yes this is this is the thing because they both grew to a very nice size uh, and when you are in a very big size um, we thought that it will arm uh, each one of them if we will continue to do it uh, together um, so this is uh, this was the reason to uh, invest one of them yeah yeah, interesting, interesting to hear. And uh, I'd like to know as well, uh, Sasu, just uh, going back to yourself here as the CEO of, of uh, Aspire, looking back at the last um, uh, eight or nine years in the in the company, uh, I would be really curious to ask you, what, what do you feel is your big, biggest success in the company? And what is your, let's say, the biggest challenge that you have or, or a failure that you had in the organization? I think that uh, the biggest success is that uh, we, in those years, we were able to uh, have almost the same management and mid-management that were with us in the beginning to stay with us uh, to date. And this is something that uh, we believe that uh, the way we are running the company gives uh, a lot of the management and empowering them uh, to do a lot of things that they are believing in. So uh, this is a huge success that we still have many of the mid-management and management that started with us uh, many years ago. So this is something that I'm very happy for. Mm. And the second, the challenge, it's uh, as a public company, um, you are all the time in front of the investors. They are uh, testing you for each and every uh, step that uh, we are doing. And we need, when we needed to uh, block markets and to report that we have a decrease in revenues yeah. because of this shutdown market. So to stand in front of the investors and tell them, guys, it's, it's for the long term. Yeah. <laughs> it will pay off because we don't want to jeopardize you as shareholders, to jeopardize the company. So we prefer lower revenue in some aspects but to grow dramatically in the long term. Uh, and this is a, a very uh, tough decision where you see a lot of companies going into those black markets and enjoying the fast income. We chose not to be there. And uh, it's not easy hmm. when you are in the boat with the storm around you. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Elon Musk famously... Uh, regretted that he took Tesla public uh, because of the inflexibility that it gives you and you have to kind of adhere to shareholders and so on. Uh, is, was that ever a consideration on your end as well? Like, uh, like why did we go public or were you always happy that that you were a public company? You, you know, it's, it's a very nice question. It's a very nice question. <laughs> Luckily for us, we were not valued so high when we went listed 
so we didn't have a lot to lose. Um, so right. we were uh, listing the company in a very, uh, uh, you know, severe uh, and uh, modern, uh, modern uh, uh, valuation. Uh, so we didn't have a lot to lose from the beginning. It was a profitable company. Uh, so for sure, we looked only long term. So uh, it didn't affect us to the uh, stage where we wanted to delist the company. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, what, what are the considerations when you, uh, when you look to list a company? What are the main pros and cons, in your opinion, uh, when you consider if you want to take your company public or not? I think that the uh, two main considerations is a positive one is that uh, you have the visibility that everybody knows what you are doing. You are a transparent a company and uh, it helps you uh, to uh, uh, to do some transactions in the market. Second, it's a strong access to money if you want to grow also uh, not only organically but also inorganically to acquire companies. So you have a nice access to uh, uh, money and capital to to gain growth from that aspect. So this is the advantages and the the, the disadvantages out of it is the. Uh, stressful times where you are thinking also if you want to do it for the next quarter or something good for the next year. So this yeah. this balance, because you know that you are being measured quarter after quarter and not necessarily year after year. And this is a huge tension in the decisions on the ground if to do things only for the next quarter or to the next year. So, so this is the, the, the challenge in it. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And it takes, like you said, strong leadership in order to educate the shareholders to think more longer term and, uh, and so on. And I guess some, uh, some publicly traded companies have shareholders that are not really interested in the company, but perhaps uh, they think very short sighted. Whereas what I guess what you want to do is to build up a base of shareholders that are there for the long term, right? Like, and it's not always so easy, I, I would assume. Yes, it's a very good point. You know, if I will look on Aspire Global, so the founding shareholders still hold almost 70% of the company. And they didn't sell even one share since the moment we listed the company in Sweden. So it's showing you that uh, they are truly long term. Usually when you will look on other peers of us, the biggest shareholders hold maybe 10%, 12%, 8%. Mm. This is the biggest shareholder. With us, mm. the biggest group of shareholders, the founding one, almost 70%. So it's clearly only long term. They don't want to do something uh, just to round uh, the circle. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, and speaking of, of that, if I understand things correctly, uh, obviously there's... Um... Uh, history between uh, Aspire Global and Neo Games. If I understand it correctly, it is the same founder to both uh, companies. Uh, and I, I just wanted to kind of bring that up uh, to clarify, like what, what is exactly the history and relationship uh, between uh, Aspire Global and Neo Games? And uh, as you mentioned here now, the, the, the founding partner has 70% of the shares in the company. And uh, that is the same um, uh, investor as uh, the founder to Neo Games as well? Yes, so they have also the majority shares in NeoGames, mm. the same founding group have uh, the, the majority shares, a little bit less than the 67, 70% that they have in Aspire. 
but still they have the majority. Um, and if I'm going back to the history, so it used to be the same company until uh, eight years ago. Um, and uh, in this one big company, we had two verticals, lottery and gaming. And the lottery was only the startup of it. So most of the profits that came from the gaming vertical went into the lottery in order to grow and grow and grow until we got into uh, the conclusion that uh, if we will continue fund the lottery, the gaming itself will not grow. This is where we decided to spin off uh, mm. Neo Games outside um, and to have the two companies growing uh, independently of each other. So this is uh, the history until eight years ago. And now, eight years after, it's two very big companies that uh, were successful enough to uh, get into this size alone um, and to lead each one in its own vertical. Neo Games, it's a leading uh, supplier in the iLottery. And Aspire is a leading supplier in the iGaming. And uh, the idea is to uh, merge into uh, and becoming one of the biggest suppliers in the world in a very, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the short period. Absolutely. You're going full circle here, going back to, to Nia Games, in other words. Uh, and um, it leads me, I guess, to uh, another question here, which is on the sale itself, uh, on, the, on the process uh, of, the, uh, of the sale that is impending uh, here to, to Nia Games. Um, where, first of all, I'd like to ask, uh, were you actively looking uh, for a buyer to uh, Aspire Global? Um, because we, we speculated at ArgumentX a lot of times that you were very well positioned to be uh, acquired, especially from uh, a US uh, point of view. Uh, you obviously uh, were working hard to, uh, to uh, establish B2Bet and, and Powerplay and seeing that you uh, had a very strong uh, leadership team and products. Uh, we thought as well that uh, you, you were ripe for an acquisition. Is that something you guys uh, talked about as well? Were you trying to position the company for, an, uh, for a sale or, or what were your thoughts in general? You know, this is another tricky thing as a public company. <laughs> you cannot look for buyers because if you will look for a buyer um, fast enough, it will go into the market and then uh, it will jeopardize the share price. It will be very volatile from the rumors. Uh, and uh, it's a, a very risky thing to do. Um, so this is something that we cannot do. So we didn't look for a buyer. We understood that the value and what we were able to build as a very strong proposition for a, a potential thing out there, but we, we, we can't. And couldn't and didn't uh, look for it. Uh, fair, fair enough, fair enough. And, and, you know, when it actually transpired here, so you were, you know, you were in, in, in conversations, I guess, for a period of time here with, with Nia Games to, uh, to negotiate and so on and so forth. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm very interested in the psychology uh, of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, the, um, the um, negotiation that goes into it, uh, the psychology behind the negotiation, uh, how tough shall you be in a negotiation, how much do you want this deal to happen and so on. And so I'm really curious to ask you uh, as well, Sachi, like, can you explain how this uh, process went down? Like who contacted who first? And like, how do you, or, I mean, you have, you have gone through other acquisitions in general. I mean, you acquired B2Bet and PowerPlay and so on. Like, how do you, 
start the conversation with the company uh, that you want to acquire? Do you kind of send a, send an email to the owner like, "Are you for sale?" You know, you know what I mean. Like, like how, what's the starting point, and then how do you uh, uh, like what kind of strategy do you choose as you go forward into the negotiation uh, in order to make a deal happen? When we acquired a private company, mm. so. The only challenge that we have is to create two needs for the uh, for the company. One that they need to be acquired. This is my work on the on the owner that we are talking with. And the second, I succeeded convincing him that it needs to be acquired. Why it needs to be aspired to acquire. So this is one thing that uh, yeah. uh, is going with a private company. With a public uh, company, it's uh, much different. You cannot go to a company and uh, uh, start in creating the needs and this and that. There is a much formal way to start. And it's where the uh, uh, acquiring company sending a letter to the chairman of, uh, um, of the company that uh, they want to buy. So it starts with a letter saying, I... We uh, uh, evaluated your company with this and that and that and that. We followed up for some time. We want to continue to a bid. How to do it? This is what we thought. And this is uh, uh, what we believe we can do. So, and this is where the bid starts to, uh, to evolve with a lot of negotiation in between before they feel confident enough to make it public. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, interesting. So it's uh, it's a lot more formal uh, process essentially uh, when when we deal with two listed uh, companies. This is quite interesting to uh, to hear, of course. So there's not much like hard negotiation happening behind closed doors in some uh, in some boardroom uh, back and forth type of thing. It's a much more formal uh, process. It's, yeah, it's very yeah. hard negotiation. Okay. Because mm. First of all, the negotiation is for the price. What is the right yeah. price? Second is uh, how do you uh, make sure that the employees that you have will continue? You need to think about the employees. So it's a lot of things around many aspects uh, that we wanted to make sure that uh, the shareholders of uh, Spire Global will receive the best return for their investment. Mm. Yeah, oh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, by the way, uh, Sachi, jumping here from one thing to the other, I'm, I'm mindful of time here. We don't have uh, oceans of time today. But um, one thing that is transpiring as we speak uh, is um, your former employer, Playtech, uh, has been in the news a lot in the last couple of months because uh, there was a bid that emerged a couple of months ago by uh, Aristocrat to acquire Playtech. Uh, and uh, in the months that transpired here now, there's been several other potential bids um, from other uh, organizations as well, but they have fallen through. And today, the shareholders of Playtech is voting whether to accept this original bid uh, by Aristocrat uh, or not. And it's leaning towards that they will actually not uh, follow through with the, with the bid that has been put on the table here. And there's a lot of controversy uh, around why that is. It's a group of investors uh, that are seemingly voting against this uh, proposed uh, acquisition. And um, this means that Playtech might uh, pursue a different uh, strategy when it comes to, uh, when it comes to uh, potentially breaking up the company and selling off parts of it. Uh, I know that Entain is one of the 
um, potential uh, companies that might be interested in in, in parts of, of Playtech. Uh, but since you have history, and I know that it's a topic that is close to your heart in general, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Playtech and the aristocrat uh, potentially fail bid that uh, we have in front of us here and what happens next. It's fascinating, Pierre, because you know when a company committed to a bid, they have high certainty that it will be completed. They don't know until the end if it will be completed, but they have high certainty for it. And uh, if we look on Aristocrat and Playtech, they truly have the majority of the shares voting for them. <laughs> um, but to come into the final uh, date with the majority of the shares voting for you, but it's not enough in it's order to enough. complete it, um, it means a lot for Aristocrat and for the Playtech shareholders. It's something, it's a, like a roller coaster that uh, only the time will say how Playtech will take, uh, you know, will go out of it. And also Aristocrat. Um, but uh, let's see, you know, in the, fair, in the next few hours, what will come up from, from this uh, meeting. If at the end it will fail or succeed. I believe that a lot of uh, Playtech shareholders are now uh, waiting to see what will be the final verdict. Mm. And personally, I didn't see a lot of bids not completing the process. Yeah. It will be the first if it will happen. And, uh, and I'm sure that it's not an easy one for either side. Uh, so uh, it's really, it's, it's an unbelievable uh, uh, movement, especially when you see the markets volatile with valuation in US and Europe and everything and and you have a bid and also this bid is not happening. So <laughs> where is the stability uh, in the market? Yeah. It's very interesting what is happening. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, like you said, the, the, the rumors here is that uh, there is a, a small group of investors uh, in Asia, uh, of uh, a small point of owners uh, of Playtech, who have been uh, acquiring shares essentially in order to uh, be able to vote down uh, this uh, uh, this bid essentially from from aristocrats. So as you are saying, it is an extraordinary situation, and and Playtech uh, board has unanimously recommended the shareholders to take the bid. Um, and still, it seems like uh, and it's still a good premium of the current share price. Uh, and still, it seems like uh, the bid is actually going to fall through. But um, you know, for, for you who are close to Playtech uh, in general, I assume that you have um, you have old friends working there and so on. I mean, Playtech is one of those companies that are they kind of have their hands in the in many different uh, cookie jars. Let, let, let's say they, uh, they they were kind of pursuing a similar strategy as to what Aspire was pursuing previously with uh, uh, trying to own all all verticals uh, essentially. Uh, and now they are communicating that uh, if this bid falls through, they might actually break up the company uh, in some sense and sell off parts of this company. Like. Um, what do you think, uh, in in general, that uh, that uh, Playtech should do as they as they go forward uh, here? Is it uh, is, is it the right strategy to pursue this uh, um, kind of all vertical strategy, or what what comes next? Do you think? I think, uh, and this is uh, from an outside view, is uh, the fact that they were perceived as a B two B supplier. Uh, but a big chunk of their revenues came from Asia. This is according to their uh, public reports. And when they saw that those income yes. 
is not sustainable and shrinking from uh, time to time, they decided that they need to increase volumes in a very fast mode. So then they started to acquire B2C operations where they bought SNI and got into an right. investment with Caliente. So Playtech today have um, a big chunk of their revenues is B2C revenues. So if you're asking me about the future, if this bid will not happen, I think that they will need to decide themselves where they are. If they are on the B2C side or on the B2B side, um, uh, and this is the first thing I think that they will need to uh, uh, to have in their mind in order to understand how they are taking their attention here or there because they became very big. Um, so this is a question mark if they will continue to invest in the B2C or in the B2B. In, and in regards to the uh, to the threat to sell their assets, it's a question if they can do it and how fast they can do it. Uh, and, you know, think about the employees that already see the exit, the, the cash coming and what happens now if it's not coming, will they stay in the company or not? So, so it's not yeah. easy times, this uncertainty for this size of a company like Playtech. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a lot of uncertainty and, and brings a lot of volatility, of course, and, and uh, what comes next and so on. Um, at the same time, you would think that uh, there would be uh, a quite decent interest to, uh, to, 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 uh, to acquire Playtech, at least parts of, uh, of the company, like the live department, of course, is uh, number two to evolution. Um, could be uh, like looking at the share price of evolution. It is uh, obviously... Um, a quite attractive um, thing to think that uh, you should be taking the live department of Playtech and accelerating it now that they are entering into into the United States and so on. Um, and um, you know, comparing the the market cap of Evolution and Playtech, uh, you can see that there is room for uh, for growth, of course, especially on the on the on the live side. So um, I guess even though there is a lot of uh, ambiguity with what's going to happen with Playtech, there's also um, I would say a lot of hope for Playtech uh, as, as well as we as we go forward here as well. And already there are um, interests on the B two C side to be acquired by uh, by Entain and others as well. So it'll be interesting to follow. Yeah, I totally agree with you. <laughs> so a final question here as well, Chelsea. Uh, I want to uh, uh, to just slide back for a moment with uh, obviously. I, I guess the the deal, as we speak right now, with uh, Neo Games uh, is still up for a vote, uh, so it hasn't been signed off yet, so to say. But assuming that uh, Neo Games will uh, acquire uh, Aspire Global and that the shareholders will approve uh, this deal, uh, what comes next for for you, Chelsea? What comes next for uh, Aspire Global uh, together with Neo Games? Like, what would be the vision here in general? Um, so the, the idea is we uh, uh, drafted it, or as NeoGames explained to their shareholders, is that there will be uh, two divisions um, in this group. It will be the Spire Global iGaming division and uh, the NeoGames iLottery division. Um, me personally, I will continue to do what I'm doing today and to lead the iGaming business within the group. Um, and in order to also to have the view of the overall group, um, and they are asking me to be the president of the of the group. So it will give me also insights of what is happening 
in the AI lottery and to try and, uh, of course, optimize everything that uh, we have in the group in order to uh, generate more business uh, to these two, two divisions. Um, so this is how it should look, uh, how it's planned to look. Um, so uh, not majority cost saving because we want each company to continue and grow, but very much revenue synergies, opening doors to each other and to grow even faster than, than before. Uh, so, so this is the plan. Absolutely. It sounds very exciting, uh, Sachi, and I'm, I'm uh, excited to see how this is going to transpire and, and uh, to follow the company's journey here into the future as well. Um, it's been great to uh, to have you here today, uh, Sachi. It's always great to talk to you and, and have you on the podcast uh, uh, and uh, and have your insights uh, here. Um, and so I'd like to thank you for that. And do you have any last words uh, here today? I'll leave, I'll leave you with no, the final words today, Shazi. Exciting times. And uh, I want to thank you very much also for the opportunity to speak, to talk, and to be visible. Uh, and uh, I hope for a good future and prosperity for the Spire Global uh, clients because uh, we, we are planning a lot of good things for them in the future. Absolutely. That's a great way to close things off today. Thank you so much, Shati, and I uh, hope to see you in person soon. For it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye.